All right, good morning. It's um, Saturday, the 6th of December, 2014, and this, I believe, is Solder Smoke 169. Is that correct, Mr. Giuliano? 169, you 169. got it. I'm looking at Pete here this morning. We're, we're, we're connected by a Skype, so we could actually <laughs> see each other. I know that's... It can be frightening for for, for Pete, uh, but 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 I'm looking at him this morning, and he's he's got a very jaunty beret on. What what is this? Are you going you going Euro on us, Mr. Julian? Well, well, when I lived in the Pacific Northwest, it used to rain and snow, and my head was cold. So I said, I'm going to get something that looks a little European. So I got a beret, and I'm sitting here in my cold garage this morning, and my head was cold. So I got the beret on. Beret. That's what. Yeah. No, I think you know I've I've lived in the, the the in Europe for a while, and so I'm feeling feeling right at home here. And I think it's very yeah. very cosmopolitan of you, very international yeah. brotherhood of electro electronic wizards here. And you know, I, I think I'm, I expect you to to, to you know, have a cigarette and a, and a little espresso there, and uh, maybe some wine and cheese later on. I don't know. I think it's good. Well, well, I got to share a story with you. I had it on last week because it was a little rainy and cold. And I went into a couple stores, and I just discovered this is a chick magnet. Uh, I had more, I had more women say, "You got a, you look really cute in that hat." <laughs> so I said, "Hey, you better, you better, you better get, ri- you better get rid of that thing, Pete. You're gonna get in trouble." <laughs> All right, but here we are, Soda Smoke 169, and uh, a lot to talk about. We're, we're going to try to go back to our twice a month schedule since we've been having so much fun with this thing. Oh yeah. And uh, and the demand is just tremendous. Global demand. We're responding to global demand. But people have been really enthusiastic about the the, the podcast, especially since Pete joined the team. And uh, we we got a lot to talk about. I'm. Uh, let's see. What what what? Let's start. What are you What are you working on over there, Pete? Well, I continue to do a little exploration with uh, the Arduino and DDSs and PLLs. And uh, it's quite interesting to see where the uh, technology is is taking us uh, today. Uh, the the packages are getting smaller, the prices are coming down, and uh, there's a lot more code available. So uh, it, it's a real good opportunity to get your feet wet. But uh, um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about that, maybe in detail, maybe a little later when we cover some some of the digital aspects, and then I can go into some of the details of things I've been doing. Oh, that's but that's good. what's on the bench right now. All right. I am completely, completely, completely at the other end of the frequency generation <laughs> technology spectrum. And I think this is actually kind of cool that, that there you are working on methods of generating RF that, that are really kind of at the, at the forefront of electronic technology with the DDS and the SI570 and the SI5350, uh, right? 51. 5151551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551551
And the we're, we're talking about this project. You guys who've listened who listened to the last couple episodes have, have heard about this. But just to update everybody, we were looking at the schematic for the Michigan Mighty Might. We've got a lot of information on this up on the blog. Seven components total. Seven. And um, sort of the, the bare minimum of requirements to, to have a device that will consistently generate RF. And, but it's, it's fun, and it's fun for us to be working at both ends of the spectrum. I think there's, there's value in, at, at, at each end. And you learn something, and you're, you know, you just, you're, you're rounding yourself out as kind of a ham radio home brewer. But I'll just update people on the, our efforts regarding the, uh, what's, what's, what has been known, and we didn't make this up. We just, we just joined, we joined the Army, Pete. The that's why I got the beret on. He's, oh, that's it. Man, that's it. He's in the resistance. It's the, it's the color burst resistance. I get it now. I was wondering. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like the French resistance. The Color Burst Liberation Army. There you go. Some people call it the CLA. Sometimes it's called the CBLA. But um, anyway, we uh, this 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 was an effort launched out in California uh, a year or two ago. I think Steve Smith, WB6TNL, was uh, deeply involved in the early phases of it. I know Steve's still involved. But the idea was that there's this kind of natural watering hole frequency on 80 meters at 3.579 megahertz. And what makes it kind of a natural watering hole is the fact that for all of the American system television sets, analog TVs produced, I guess, from about like 1960 on or even earlier, they had to have an oscillator in there called the color burst oscillator. And it, there's a Wikipedia page that describes in detail what this particular oscillator did, but that's really not important for our purposes. What really is important was that millions of these these crystals at this particular frequency were produced, and this this sort of like uh, was kind of a foreshadowing of what happened with the the crystals that are used in the computers that we're using now to make our homebrew ladder filters. But anyway, the world was kind of just chock full of crystals at this particular frequency. And I first came across it with the bare bones superhead that I've talked about probably too much already. But um, uh, when we started talking about projects that people could do to get started in home brewing, the idea of this circuit called the Michigan Mighty Mike came up. And, uh, and then, I, then I started thinking, you know, I got a bag full of these things here. And, then, and so I said, all right, I have received so much over the years from people who just spontaneously hear me talk about something and then kindly stick something in the mail. And the next thing you know, it shows up in my mailbox. It's really, it's stocked my junk boxes. I've got all kinds of equipment here. It's, it's just wonderful. I figured, oh, you know, I, it's time for me to, 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 to give something back. So, okay, we put out the offer and we said, you know, let us know if you want one of these crystals. We'll send it to you. And I've really, you, you and I both have been really astonished by the response. Oh, absolutely. It's amazing. We, we've, got, we've sent out so far 25 crystals. So we've got 25 new recruits in the Color Burst Liberation Army. They've gone out as far west as Hawaii, as far east as Scotland. And uh, it, we're, we're starting now to see the results because we're, we're getting back uh, reports. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I just wanted to recap what, what really the objective is here. And a lot of, I think there's, uh, there is a little bit of confusion because some people will write in and say, well, it's not a practical rig. You can't do this. You can't do that. Look. The whole objective was not even really to get a rig in with which you could make contacts, although you could. 
the real objective was to build something that would actually oscillate and that would give you the experience of creating a device with your own hands with a small number of parts, put it together, and get it to do something useful in radio. And an extremely useful thing in radio is to generate RF. So we figured that the Michigan Mighty Might circuit, which w would be quite good for that, it's real low parts count, it's real simple. You could build it using the Manhattan method. Um, and the one element that people needed was that, that crystal, which we had a few of. So our objective was just to have folks build this thing, not necessarily put it on the air. The other thing is it's a CW rig, and we, we know that many guys getting into the hobby now are not have not learned Morse code. And that, that's for me, that's, that's fine, that's okay. But again, because it was only for sort of demonstration purposes, it's, um, you know, a, a contact later on would be icing on the cake. So um, what are your thoughts on this new front in the uh, color burst struggle, uh, Pete? Yeah, yes. And uh, I, I also want to comment, uh, your number 25 is not uh, indicative of the total number of builds. We've had a couple uh, people that have emailed us that didn't have had crystals in the in the shack that's right built another built another version of this for, yeah. for other bands so right. it's more than 25 more than 25 <laughs> so yeah 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 and, and a couple yeah. a, few, a few people we sent out multiple crystals and asked them to uh you know to share them with other potential builders or uh, one fellow was going to build one and with his son so there are more out there so we do expect to get reports and if you're working on one of these things please send us pictures or video it's always nice to see the video sure. thing in action well, I, I wanted to respond to your question. Um, I, I looked at the circuit diagram, and, and I sat there and I said, no, this is amazing. Uh, because if you want to learn something about electronics, look at those seven components. And, and there's if you peel the layers back, like peeling an onion, peel the layers back, there's a lot of sophistication of that circuit. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's not just a matter of tacking six, six or seven parts together. But but there's a real electronic theory uh, in, in in the whole circuit. So if you if you wanted a good place to start, say I would like to learn something about electronics, the Michigan Mighty Might, aside from the build aspect, but the electronics and the theory aspect is, is just really outstanding. I mean, I sat there and looked at it and said, do you realize there's both AC and DC circuits in yeah. in in this, and and they each have a function. And, and each one of those parts are in there for a reason. Some, and, of, them, some uh, of them for multiple reasons. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So if, if you want to take, take on something, I mean, you, you could get a schematic of the latest solid-state television and say, okay, I want to learn about electronics. Let me start here. Boy, you're going to get lost real quick. But the Michigan Mighty Might, if you really did an analysis uh, of it, both, both from an, an AC side and a DC side, You'll understand why there's every one of those components. And you'll understand that the basic reason it oscillates is it meets the Barkhausen criteria where K beta equals 1. I love it when, you talk, like, I love it when you talk like that, Pete. It's just, <laughs> it just adds an aura of respectability to the podcast. I mean, Say that and, again. And, what was the criteria? Yeah, the Barkhausen criteria. Of course. K beta equals 1. And, oh, I, and I, have how you get I have a T-shirt. I have a T-shirt that says that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And, and the reason it works is you've got a feedback loop in there. Yeah. And you're feeding back energy from the output into the input, 
and Gesundheit from the Gesundheit to the Gazada. And the reason, the other reason for the crystal is that that feedback causes that crystal to oscillate at a specific frequency. Right. So uh, the two resistors, uh, <coughs> they deal with the DC biasing right. of the transistor. So uh, and and the coupling capacitor or the capacitor to ground from the the uh, uh, supply voltage to 12 volts. 12 to 14 volts, that actually ends up being in series with the, uh, if, if you ground the other, the other end of the capacitor instead of putting it right across the coil, you, you grind it. So you find out about capacitors in series and why you have a, a smaller value and a larger value. It tends to be mostly the smaller value. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's all kind of electronic theory. If you want to learn something about electronics, build that circuit and then ask what each one of those pieces are doing. And, and I think that's a really good place to start. So and aside a, from the building, it's the theory. Yeah, and the, you know, there's a lot of theory also in that little goofy-looking coil that we wind on a 35-millimeter oh, yeah. film canister or, as many guys have done, on a, on a pill bottle. And Because really, when you look at that, there, there, you, could, you could actually say that there are three coils in there. It looks like there's just two, but one is there's a tap on one of them. And right. that tap is what provides the, the proper amount of feedback energy going back into the input circuit. And then the other coil that's wound around it is where you, where you take the output, and that becomes a, becomes a transformer. The right. other thing is that this, this tuned circuit, the coil and that little polyvericon cap that you have in there, they form the load for what is the, essentially an amplifier with feedback. The amplifier yep. needs to have a load to operate properly, and that tuned circuit provides a load. But and here's a, an important point: a load that's the proper value only at the frequency that you want it to be. Right, so Correct. it's not going to be providing a good load across the whole frequency spectrum because you don't really want this thing to operate across a broad frequency spectrum. You want it to operate at one specific frequency. So that's why you tune that little polyvericon cap. Until you get the proper amount of feedback, until the signal sounds right, because if you don't do it that way, you could be setting up. You could actually have a 3.579 megahertz crystal in there and have it running on the second harmonic. So right. you uh, you have to. But you're right. There's an amazing amount of electronics here. I think the way to do this, and you and I have talked about it, this is a good time for our, a YouTube video where we'll have you know. Up there in front of the camera, the schematic in front of in, a little bit on the bench, we'll yeah, have the actual yeah. device, and then talk through it and 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 talk about the uh, the feedback loop and how that takes place, what the function of the crystal is, what the function of the coil, the cap, the resistors for biasing, everything. And you because there is a tremendous amount of really interesting physics. You know, even in if you want to get really deep, one thing I always find interesting is that in that coil. And a lot of guys, I don't think, are familiar with this. But if you read Feynman, you know, you'll 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 see that in that coil, you if you really want to get a deep understanding of how that coil operates, you could get into special relativity, and there you go. and and you know you you can get into Lorentz contractions and stuff, which describes why <laughs> a current, a moving electrons, you know, creates the creates an electric a field. Wave. Yeah, and then it's really fundamental stuff, but it's also really fascinating and beautiful. And so I see a YouTube or a few YouTube videos coming up on the beloved Michigan Mighty Might. Uh, I, I wanted to pass on 
two additional comments. One is TFMS. That's tuned for maximum smoke. Yeah. Well, that's that's right. We got to tell them about that TFMS. TFMS, and and you may find a condition, uh, and this is kind of typical with uh, crystal oscillators. When you get it just peak, just right, it may stop oscillating. Yeah. Or it won't oscillate reliably. It'll oscillate, and when you go to key it, it 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 won't. So you may have to tune just slightly either side of, of where that point is, and that'll be close to maximum TFMS, and. Um, I guess the other thing, too, is, is that uh, piece of tribal knowledge here. You look at that coil, and you'll say, where should that tap be, especially if you want to transport it to other bands. And typically, if you look at about a third to, to uh, a, a quarter of the number of turns, is usually typically where the tap is. So if you had, like, on the 80-meter version, it's 45 turns, and the tap is at 15 turns. Yeah. So that's one-third. And... You may see it as low as 25%. So, you know, sometimes you got to just be reasonable about this stuff. Say, okay, where do I put the tap? If it's somewhere in between a third and a quarter, you're probably good. But it's got to be on the right side because if you, yeah. do, it, if you do it the wrong yeah. way, then you're, you're not going to get the proper amount of feedback. Right. And it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to work properly. That, um, that also is a part of impedance matching. <clears throat> and you can think of that that way. The, the transistor is a lower impedance device, so the tap has to be at the end where you put supply in the 12 volts yeah. or the 14 volts. Sometimes, another piece of tribal knowledge when you're doing this, sometimes you have to look carefully at the schematic because usually the schematic will indicate you know, how far up. It'll say tapped at 15 turns. and then the it, bottom. From the bottom. And, you, and they'll indicate on the schematic where the bottom is, and you'll see that the tap is indicated as being closer to the top or to the bottom. And if you see it in the schematic a different way, it's wrong. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because because it's got to be towards the bottom end. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So um, all that's that, that's very very important. Um, let's see. Are you still there? I'm having computer trouble here. Yes, I'm still here. Hold on a second. Let me, make, let me make sure everything is running properly. Sorry for the interruption. Hold on. Okay, I think we're still good. Anyway. Cool. A little hiccup there. Anyway, um, I, you know, when after I sent out a bunch of these crystals, and I hope all of them arrived because I think I might have had some uh, postal difficulties <laughs> early on. I was just sort of sticking them in envelopes and sending them, and one... One fellow told me that the envelope arrived, but the crystal didn't. But I think that was only one case. I hope the others have arrived. I just hope especially the one made it all the way out to Hawaii because it would be really cool to see one of these things, sort of a, uh, you know, a, ma a Hawaiian Mighty Might or a Mahalo Mighty Might. There you go. Hey, hey I wanted to m mention something about uh, people who poo-poo this stuff uh, as to the practicability of it. First of all, uh, take a look at your cell phone. How much power do you think is coming out of that cell phone hitting the cell towers? Yeah, I know. Okay. Very little. Not, 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 not a lot. And, and with three, 400 milliwatts, uh, you'd be surprised what you can do on, uh, it might be a little tougher on, on 80 meters, but on 40 meters, uh, two, 300 milliwatts, uh, that's 600 to 1,000 mile contacts. That's so so don't, don't, don't turn your nose up at that, <laughs> believe me. No. As a matter of fact, that gets us to a, to a topic that we have to mention here. We don't want to scare anybody off, but to be uh, responsible radio amateurs here, when you mention that, the fact that even though this is just one transistor, it's putting out 
what QRP circles is a significant amount of power in the hundreds of milliwatts range. It's not, I mean, you're not going to be doing any major damage, but you really do need at the output of this thing a low-pass filter. The purpose of the low-pass filter, here's a bit of tribal knowledge, is that you know, if you have this oscillator running at 3.5 megahertz, there's going to be some energy in there at the, the second harmonic, which will be in 40 meters, you know, at what, 7.2, something like that. So you need a filter to knock it down to make sure that harmonic energy is, is not getting out. So that's why at the output of all these transistors, all these rigs, there's always what, you know, a low-pass filter that does just as the name indicates. You select the cutoff frequency and it'll let everything below go, but it'll knock down all the harmonics that might be in there. So, uh, you know, it, what it, uh, low-pass filter is not included in any of the articles on, on the, uh, the Mighty Might, as far as, as far as I can tell. But the requirements have changed over the years, and I think it, it probably is really good amateur practice to stick a filter in there. It's not hard. Usually you could do it with a couple of toroids and three capacitors. And we'll be putting some more information out on that. But, but because right now the, uh, the objective is just to get these things percolating and not necessarily on the air, we haven't gotten into that yet. We don't want to make it, you know, we don't want to add, you know, we could, even, we could easily double the parts count with a low-pass filter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, we want to yeah, keep right. it simple. Also, I've been, uh, I got, you know, on low-pass filters, I had an interesting exchange with, um, with Farhan on this. We were talking about the low-pass filter scheme in the minima. This was when I was putting the low-pass filters in my 120-watt uh, uh, um, Communications Concepts Incorporated amplifier. And Farhan mentioned that he's sort of inclined or becoming more inclined to put, to make, to think of the low-pass filter as part of the antenna. In other words, if you have a 20-meter antenna, at the when, the when the coax comes into the shack, there's no reason why you couldn't build into that antenna, especially if it's just a monoband antenna, and many of us do that. Many of us have just a, one antenna that they, we use for 20, one for 40, one for 17, and then just put a little box in there with the low-pass filter in there, and there's no reason why you couldn't do it that way. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of ways to, to, to approach this, but it is good. And Steve Smith, who is, is, is entirely correct in being a real advocate for compliance with the regulations in this area, Oh, we'll always point out that we need some low-pass filters. So, Steve, if you're listening, send us some suggestions on the uh, the, the low-pass filter for 80 meters for the 3.579 megahertz color burst liberation army frequency, and uh, we'd really appreciate that. And if you had a solid-state design manual from Wes Hayward in the back... <laughs> Has the tables that show you how to calculate one. So, so there you go. Or you can even figure it out with Elsie. That 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 yeah, program yeah, that we've been talking yeah, about. Yeah. There's a lot of fun. Yeah. Elsie, E L S I E. Yeah. Kind of a pun on L C, but I'll think of Elsie the cow, and uh, that that that's a lot of fun to play with. But you know what, Pete? I wanted to mention. I, I this I've had a lot of fun with sending these these uh, these crystals out. The people at the post office. <laughs> they began to suspect that I might be involved in some sort of illicit activity because I keep <laughs> I keep showing up with this stack of five or ten small little Manila envelopes with a with a with a device that, with something in there. And the lady, the postal lady, kind of looked at me and she said, well, "What is what's what's in here?" <laughs> yeah, I, I almost I was tempted to say uh, uh, a three point five seven nine megahertz. Uh, <laughs> 
piezoelectric crystal. <laughs> no. There you go. But I did. Hey, hey, while you're on that subject, um, I discovered something in mailing stuff. And, and like you, uh, I, I, I'm an advocate of paying it forward. People have sent me stuff, and I had a chance to reciprocate. There was a guy in, in Germany, and um, Dieter Horst is his name, and I forget his call, but uh, he had a TR7, and he was looking for these special pin diodes. And he went out on the on the Drake reflector, and nobody's showing up for any. And I, I remember I had some, so I, I contacted him and said, Hey, I have some. I no longer have the TR-7. They're yours. Just tell me where to send them. So he, he sent me his address. And so I had this really neat little box, cardboard box that I got some parts in, and it said mailing box. So I put him in there, put his address on it, stamped on their engineering sample, took it to the post office, and they rejected it. And the reason is the box was too small. So there's new postal regulations. Man. That there's a minimum size on a box. And and I said, but this is a mailer box. He said, that was the old regulation. Oh, so man. if you're going to send anything to anyone in a box, make sure it's big enough or put it in a padded envelope. So that's just a piece of tribal knowledge. Holy cow. So I had to go home, get a bigger box, and put a new mailing label on it, and go back to the post office. They don't, they don't make it easy. But, you know, no, uh-uh. as I was sending these things out, I said to myself, holy cow, I really hope that these crystals will work in the Michigan Mighty Might. I'm going to have people all over kind of mad at me. So I, I remembered, you know, I built one of the, I built a Michigan Mighty Might back in 1993 in the Dominican Republic. It was one of my first, probably my first homebrew project when I, I was away from ham radio for a while, but then when I came back in 93, I, I wanted to do some homebrewing. So I, I found this circuit. It was in the 1992 issue of CQ magazine. And I put one together when I was in down in the Dominican Republic and it was really such a, such a kick to get it to oscillate that I, in my QSL card from the Dominican Republic, I have it seated on, seated on the bench in front of my humongous, uh, 286 Tandy 1000 TL <laughs> computer, which I thought was just, uh, you know, just the bee's knees at that it, point. It'll hardly, uh, it'll hardly do DOS. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, I think the, the mighty might had a, almost as much processing power. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but anyway, I still had that thing. I still had it kicking around. You know, I, I, I'm a hoarder here. And I, so I said, I bet you I still have it. And I went digging it way down the bottom of the junk box. I saw that little 35, black 35 millimeter film can. And I pulled it out. And, you know, of the seven parts for the Mighty Might, uh, five of them were still there. The crystal was gone. The variable capacitor was gone. But everything else was still there. So I decided I was going to rebuild it. I had built it for 40 but now this one, of course, was for 80. So I just, I rewound the, um, the coil and I plugged in a, a, one, of the, one of the crystals from the batch that we've been sending out. And man, that thing fired right up. That was a real hoot. I put it on a little board. I put in a, um, you know, a capacitor from, uh, you know, a 365 picofarad capacitor from one of the All-American 5 receivers. And uh, that, thing, that thing works great. And it, it looks good on the scope. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. so I was able to, to confirm that. So uh, anyway, uh, um, oh, one thing we wanted to mention, and this is kind of an interesting idea, the reverse beacon network. We we're going to talk yeah. about that. You know, when it comes time, and I know some of you guys are, are more advanced on this project than, than others, but when it comes time to put this thing on the air, one of the things that you should check out is a, a website called the reverse beacon network. And it's kind of as the name indicates, but not really, because it's not just for beacons. What they've done is that all over the, the world, people with 
SDR receivers that can look at like kind of a panoramic display of the band. They set it up and they run a program that looks for CQ calls. So if you're calling CQ uh, on CW on one of the ham bands, one of these stations will almost certainly pick you up. And then they automatically report it to the internet. So you'll show up on the website of the Reverse Beacon Network. And I've used this in the past to see how I was doing with little QRP transmitters that I've made. I did it with the Tuna Tin 2. I would call CQ with the Tuna Tin 2 on 40 meters. And even though nobody was answering me, I could look on the screen and see that I was being picked up all across the United States. So it was a real confidence booster and gave you a good sense of the fact that you are getting out. So if any of you are reaching the point after having built your low-pass filter, if you're, if you're reaching the point, I say that because Steve Smith's listening, um, you're getting the point to put one of these things on the air, you know, you fire up the reverse beacon network and hopefully you'll see on 80 meters that your, your call is being reported. Now, if it's being reported on 40, you really do need to go back. Yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> you gotta yeah, build that, you're in you gotta trouble. Build that low pass filter. Plus, the guys in the mid cars net that you're transmitting over are not going to be too pleased. Yeah, they get they'll really tested. They'll probably get in touch with you also. <laughs> uh, you know, I wanted to jump in here with uh, two two things that um, uh, come to mind, and I saw these in a the couple of videos that we saw. Uh, one is once you get it oscillating. Uh, you know, pat yourself on the back, go have a beer, and, and then come back, and then listen, listen to your signal carefully. Uh, first of, I, I did a mod uh, to mine because uh, of key clicks, and so I added another component, and that was a uh, 10 nanofarad uh, capacitor from the bottom of the 27 ohm resistor to ground. So this way, uh, when you key it, you're not going to get these thump, 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 thump. So I mean. Not only is it nice to have a signal on the air, you should have a good signal on the air. So I think that's a worthwhile addition. And, and when we do the, you know, when you do the video, Bill, we, we can cover the, these pieces. But that's probably a worthwhile mod. Probably they figured, well, that low power key clicks is not a problem. But you should take pride in your signal and should make sure that that's right. The other thing is kind of resist the temptation just to power this thing with a wall wart yeah some of these wall some of these wall warts uh, are are terrible and and when you get on the air it'll oscillate but it'll sound like a buzzsaw yeah. and so you, you should you should pride yourself in the signal that you're putting out in the air so get a good decent power supply and if you're going to do any home brewing invest in a good power supply either build one uh, which is a really good experience and it's not that hard to do or you can find some of these uh, you know, really very adequate supplies for not a lot of money. You know, 12 volts at 15, three, 3 amps or 12 volts at 2 amps is perfect for, you know, the, the QRP type stuff. The other thing is the key. <laughs> I've seen some interesting keys. <laughs> One was a gum wrapper, I think. <laughs> I think the foil off the gum wrapper <laughs> is what it looked like. But you can, you can homebrew a key. You can really do that. And uh, not not too hard to do, and uh, you know that's another aspect of the hobby is uh, you can have er everything fully homebrew. As a matter of fact, just kind of in this vein, not necessarily on the mighty might. Uh, our friend Colin in the UK is is building a Bidex, and 
he, he's now taking this to the to the nth degree. He's, he's homebrewing a microphone. And I told to, him to I, go with it. I really admired him for that because yeah, I, I yeah. told him I said I'm using this Static D104, and I, I sometimes get the feeling that I'm I'm, I'm kind of a you know I'm, it's kind of cheating for having this completely homebrew rig and then this you know this store bought you know chrome lollipop yeah. appliance looking microphone. So yeah, Colin is is shaming me into action here. I'm gonna have to homebrew a mic. <laughs> Well, the, the other thing is uh, making a key, you can get one of these spring-loaded uh, clothespins. Yeah. Works, uh, works pretty well and uh, give you a pretty de- decent signal. And, uh, you know, keys, have, it's kind of weird. Keys used to be, you know, a commodity. You could buy them pretty low price, but now guys are collecting them. And so get, getting a J38 is a $45 experience. So, uh, yeah, you don't want to necessarily do that, but you can certainly homebrew a key and and make a make a pretty good one. I mean, guys have taken hacksaw blades because of the spring metal and turned it, you know, in a uh, a wooden door pull, uh, you know, in a in a screw on a block of wood, and you got a pretty decent key. But yeah. that's better than that's better than the gum wrapper that yeah. I yeah. Stay away from the gum. Stay away from the gum wrappers. You know, I, I think I, I think it was. Hey, I'm not, was, I'm not I'm not you know I'm not dunning anybody, but if you're going to get on the air, <laughs> that might be a little tiresome after a while. <laughs> Well, at least, and the other at thing, least it was a homebrew gum wrap. Yeah, you know? yeah. Come on, and and the, other, the other piece, <laughs> the other piece of that is, um, y- you know, I, I'm really, I, I guess when I listen to CW, some of it is really good and some of it is not so good. So th- this also is a good chance uh, to hook your Michigan Mighty Might into a dummy load and practice sending so that the litters sound like they're not all run together. I mean, you know, it's it's one thing to just to try to send code, but uh, some of it is just awful. And and when you put a signal on the air, it has many. It's a multifaceted uh, opportunity. One homebrew, signal sounding, and how you send. So uh, it, it's all part of a learning experience, and that's why I think the Michigan Mighty Might is a really good vehicle because it gives you all of those things all in one project. That's right. Now, and also a lot of a lot of potential. Potential yeah. for expansion. One of the things we mentioned, and I, I, we, we're not close to doing this, but when you have that thing oscillating, of course, it's really useful on the transmit side. But realize also, anytime you have an oscillator like that, you know, you would if you hooked it up, especially on 80 meters, to a mixer, sort of like similar to the diode ring mixers that you've been talking about yeah. on the Let's Build Something uh, uh, videos, Pete. If you hooked it up to a, a mixer, then with just a, with a minimal amount of audio frequency, what would happen is you'd have a signal coming in from the antenna to the mixer. You would mix it with the signal from, say, the Michigan Mighty Might or another oscillator, and then the output would be at audio. And then you just run, have one little audio amplifier, send it to your headphones, and that thing could be kind of a fixed frequency Receiver, right? You'd, you'd be in transceiver country there. So, sure. And I'm sure. not. Sh- I'm not sure that the Michigan Mighty Might is the best oscillator circuit for use in that configuration. But it's certainly possible. It would. It would certainly work. I mean, one of the problems is you wouldn't be able to tune. You know, you'd be pretty much stuck at 3.579. You might be able to wiggle it a little bit with a coil and a cap, but at, down at that low frequency, it'd be kind of fixed. Not much. But if everybody, but, but if everybody other- else, if everybody else in the color burst liberation army is right there, <laughs> you're there. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you get a second crystal and tweak it a bit, and to give you enough of an offset, and, and you're there. So you have a you have a transceiver. Yeah, 
And and this is this is very much along the lines of the Let's Build Something project that that Pete is working on, uh, that is starting out with a direct conversion receiver. So please take a look at that. And also, if you're if you're planning on putting this thing on the air, you need it. You're going to need an antenna. So think about that. Now this is one of the, yes. one of the downsides of three point five seven nine. The antenna is pretty big, so you're going to you're going to need a kind of an uh, at least sort of like an, an eighty meter dipole. Or or something like that, something that'll be close to resonance on the on the frequency that you want to operate on. So um, think along those lines too. But for now, look, we're just we're just trying to get to oscillation. So if any of you guys have received the crystals or have them, uh, please uh, get those get the solder flowing, get the video recording, and send it to us. We'll put it up on the blog. And I, I wanted to mention here that one of the the most fun. Uh, sets of uh, communications that we got on this was from from uh, from Dave W2DAB up there on Manhattan Island doing Manhattan construction and he, he put in his signature block um, Manhattan is more fun in Manhattan <laughs> yeah there you go there you go and that's my my home island Pete too so I've got a real kind of yeah I, I can tell from the accent yeah, I, I was <laughs> I was actually born on Manhattan Island and went to Manhattan College so uh wow yeah, wow uh, that's 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 the hometown that's, there that's, uh, yeah that's kind of a fun place today isn't it oh I, you know I you know it's it's a great place there we love going back it's 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 actually better than it was when I lived there so it's uh it's nice and it's and it's amazing that uh that people are melting solder up there on the Upper East Side. It doesn't seem like a very Upper East Side pursuit. I'm, I'm guessing that Dave doesn't have a whole lot of neighbors who are involved in this, but but he <laughs> yeah. is. So good for him. And yeah. and he put together uh, the, the Michigan uh, Mighty Might. Actually, and we were calling it his Manhattan Mighty Might. And he, he was very kind and kind enough to share with us some of his, his trials, tribulations, and mistakes. And our listeners always seem to love to hear about other people's mistakes, especially if they're mine. I think they're starting to like yours too, Pete, but you don't make, Oh yeah. But you don't make too many. So, it's, Oh yeah, uh, I do. You know, the 39, oh. that two N thirty nine Oh six thing. I, I'm still suspicious whether you actually did that or not, but oh, yeah, it was yeah. kind of you to, to, to tell us about it in any case. But, um, anyway, Dave, Dave's, he, he built the thing and then he sent us a video and we were listening and it didn't sound quite right. It sounded more like the thing was going briefly into oscillation and out. Every time he hit the, the so-called or the key or the gum wrapper or whatever it was, it would kind of just go click, 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 click. Now, he was, he was happy to have any kind of sound coming out of the thing. But you and I both said, eh, that's not quite it. It should, it should, on a receiver with a BFO, it should sound like CW. So we started d- looking at it. And you, Dr. Giuliano... <laughs> from a lo- from three thousand miles away, with looking at one little—I don't even think you looked at the picture. I think I just told you about it. Pete says to me, "Did he put the coil in with the tap on the wrong side?" And I said, "I don't know." We had been talking. I, we went through all kinds of different possibilities. I thought it might have been the power supply. We thought it might have been a more bad crystal in the batch. I didn't think that was it. We thought maybe the capacitor value wasn't quite right, but it was a polyvaricon, so it looked right. And then I took a closer look at the picture that David sent, and it did look to me like the the tap on the coil might have been on the top instead of the bottom, and that would explain quite a bit. So we sent emails to Dave, and another another friend kicked in. I think Dan sent him an email too, advising him what, how to proceed, and he flipped the thing around and 
boom, it, it fired up. He also told us that he made another mistake, that he, he was working kind of quick, and that the first coil that he wound was for 40 meters and not for 80. But he had this coil there, and he also had a crystal for 40. So boom, we've got two Manhattan Mighty Mites, one right. for 40 and one for 80. So that was really good. I, I, and, you know, you talk about uh, paying forward and karma here, Pete. I, think, I don't know if I told you this story, but there's a story related to this with Dave. Because I sent him up the, the, the 3.579 megahertz crystal, and it was great fun to think about this going up to the Upper East Side of Manhattan and how it was going to be turned into a Manhattan Mighty Might and all that. And it just so happened that the next day, it was the day before Thanksgiving, I had my 11-year-old nephew, Sebastian, in the shack. And Sebastian has the knack. Sebastian's interested in all this stuff. And after Thanksgiving, I was thinking, i got to send him back with some radio stuff. And um, he already has my, my Lafayette HA600 receiver. And I was looking for a book to find him for him. And I couldn't find, I found, eventually found something that was at the right level for Sebastian. But I also pulled off the shelf a book that I hadn't looked at in a while. And it's the Master Handbook of Ham Radio Circuits. Ooh, ooh. And, it's, and then you look, and it's put out by Tab Books in Blue Ridge Summit, Pennsylvania. And, of course. And then um, the authors are listed as the editors of 7-3 Magazine. <laughs> there you go. The editors. Never say die. I only thought they had one. <laughs> yeah, Wayne. <laughs> but anyway... Um, so I, I found in there some cool circuits. I sent one to you, and you've already built it, wizard that you are. But then I started thinking, where did I get this book? Who's, how did I get this thing? And I vaguely remembered somebody sending it to me. So I go to Gmail, and I put in the title, and bang. Dave sent it to me, W2DAB, the guy on the wow. Upper East Side. He sent it to me. And it just wow. happened that on, I, you know, I, haven't, I don't think I've touched it in the three years since he sent it to me. But then on... Right at the, on the day that he's getting that little crystal I sent up going, the radio gods send me to this book through Sebastian, and I'm reminded of the value of, of karma and paying oh, forward, yeah. and it was just tied it all together. Absolutely. So thanks again, Dave, and we, we hope to work you with the mighty might. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I, the postscript to that, actually, I, I knew what the problem was because when I built my coil... I wrapped tape all around it, and I couldn't see what end was what. So when I first turned mine on that I built, it wasn't oscillating. I said, oh, you got the coil reversed, and I reversed them. So, you know, it's like I'd been there, and I said, I bet he did the same thing I did, is that I couldn't see the windings, and so when I reversed them, it worked. So, um, yeah. Some it, tribal knowledge some, there. I guess, the, yeah. I guess the point to make is that when you're doing coils, even a simple coil like this, but even more so when you get into bifiller and trifiller coils, it is yep. really, really easy to hook the wrong end of one wire to the wrong end of another, to, to put the yep. tap where the end's supposed to go. We all do it. And you really, at that point, when you're, doing, when you're building a project and you're, you're getting to the coil point, don't do it when you're tired. Don't do it when you're rushed. Sit there. Even if you have to draw yourself a picture with the schematic of the way the coil's going to go and then a picture, draw a circle... <laughs> Have the little wires coming off where they actually come off and make sure that you're you know, connecting the top of L1 to the bottom of L2 and that forms the tap 
and that goes to this point, and you have to go through all of it, it because there, it, it, it is probably the easiest part of these circuits to get wrong. Well, think back to the regen radios and the tickler coils. Huh? What do they always say? <laughs> it doesn't oscillate. Reverse the leads. That's right. And, they, and, they, and that gets back to, to my problem with the Herring 8.5 receiver, where I wound the coil, but I wound it in the wrong direction. Yeah. I mean, it, which is something you don't really face with bifiller or trifiller coils because they're all, everything's all wound together and wound around. But, right. but, you, but again, it points out that the coils can be, be tricky, so be, be careful. Hey, I want to tell about the story about Chuck Adams. And there you go. At the cashier. <laughs> oh, man. You know, we all read a lot of the emails from QRPL and QRP Tech, and I, I love all that stuff. I love to, to, to read about what other people are working on. And every once in a while, you come across something that really makes you crack up. And Chuck Adams came up with one in the last few weeks. He was talking about how he went to a bookstore in his neighborhood. I'm not sure where he lives, but he went to the bookstore, and they, I think it was called Wally's World or something like that. We don't have them around here, but he went to this bookstore, and he found in there a copy of Experimental Methods in RF Design by, by Wes Hayward, one of the, you know, one of the real Bibles of, of home brewing that we talk about all the time, EMRFD. You know, you know the book is good when it has an acronym. Um, anyway... So he goes to the checkout counter, and the, the, the lady at the checkout counter runs the scanner over the barcode, and then he sees her kind of her jaw drop, and she gets this kind of scared look on her face, and he sees on the register that instead of saying experimental methods in RF design, it shows in big letters, experimental meth. <laughs> 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 hey man, that's a di- that's a di- that's a different kind of home brewer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll a, give you a buzz. Yeah, that's breaking bad. <laughs> yeah, man, oh, I, I think she funny. she she was looking at, at 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 Chuck like he might be like a Walter White kind of character there, uh, getting into yeah, a different yeah. kind of home brewing. Thankfully, he was not, and I think he explained to her that it was all good fun for radios, but it also reminded me of when I went in to get the pill bottles for the coil in my uh, uh, little superhead receiver from Lou McCoy. You know, times had changed when Lou McCoy recommended using pill bottles. I don't think anybody saw that as suspicious, but when I walked into my local pharmacy and asked if they could give me some empty pill bottles, man, the eyebrows went up. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing? What, what's going on here? What do, you yeah. need, what do you need those pill bottles for, <laughs> my friend? And good thing I had under my under my under my arm a copy of the 1965 issue of QST magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they figured I'd have to be an extremely resourceful uh, drug abuser to, to come armed with QST. So they gave me the pill. There you go. Anyway. But experimental meth. Okay, real good. Um, all right, a couple other things we got to mention here. Wow. Um, I wanted to, um, let's see. Before we go into the digital realm, because we wanted to hear about what's going on there, Pete. But I, I saw some interesting email. Um, uh, Farhan was talking to Allison, and they were going back and forth about some possible changes in the, uh, the design of the minima. And one of the things that Farhan said was that he found a batch of crystals in his junk box at 25 megahertz. And the, you know, the crystal filter at, for the minima right now is at 20 megahertz, but Farhan said he was contemplating moving the IF up to 25. He pointed out that this would cause you to lose 
uh, 12 meters, which is a 24 megahertz, you really wouldn't be able to do that, but you'd gain all of the 15 meter band at 21 megahertz. So I thought this was an interesting uh, discussion, and it's, it just shows you the great flexibility that comes when you're building your own radio. So uh, I'll be following that because I think maybe a, a, after the first of the year, I'm going to be starting on a minima project here. And I want to I think about that a little bit because uh, that IF frequency is a really important choice. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, y- you know, it's uh, kind of interesting. I, I, I think, one, we're really lucky today that these uh, computer-grade crystals are available to us. I mean, there's frequency all over the place, and, uh, and the cost is really low. Like, I, I, I'm bidding on a batch of 4.9152 megahertz crystals. And, and and we're dickering over price, you know, best offer. And and fifty crystals with the shipping and everything is gonna be about if if I get the bid, it is gonna be about twenty eight cents a piece. <laughs> so so you know, uh, for less than fifteen bucks including shipping, uh just think how many crystal filters you can build. Yeah. You know, uh, with with fifty crystals. So you know, if you discount half of them and you get you can get uh, four uh, you get six four pole crystal filters out of half the batch, so uh, you know that's that's really great and and I think that that's uh, that's amazing that there's so many crystals. I mean, you have a crystal custom made and they want twenty five bucks for one crystal. I know custom made. Whereas the computer crystals, you know, I bet he bought that bag of twenty five megahertz in India for <laughs> pennies. I know. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pennies. Yeah, pennies. I know. So it's so, great great stuff. Great great, great time great to be in the home brewing game. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Now we have to move into the world of digital electronics. I got, there we go. And I want to just say I, I've been following your discussions with um, with Ben and a few other people as you've been talking through the Arduinos and the SI fifty three fifty one. And I sent you guys an email at one point saying, stop, stop, you're scaring yeah, me. You're scaring yeah. me. Yeah, I, yeah. I find myself retreating for ever deeper into the, into the happy land of, 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 uh, of, of discrete analog components and hardware-defined radios because it can be tough, Pete. Yeah. I, I want to take a little circuitous path uh, to get to the point of the uh, you've got digital the, you've talk. got the beret on, so go ahead. Okay, there you go, there you go. Yeah, you okay, be Jean Paul Sartre over there. Yeah, there, there, there you go. One of the one of the really interesting publications that came from AWRL, written by Clinton B. DeSoto, is called Two Hundred Meters and Down. Are oh, you familiar with that got book? It. I got it. I love it. It's right here. You, okay, so kind of summing up this whole book, and it's really interesting, and the whole crux of this was. In the early days of radio, the Navy had control over everything. In other words, the Navy controlled frequencies, the, the Navy controlled the regulations, and the reason was talking to the ships at sea. You know, Marconi sold his idea uh, to, to ships at sea, and so the Navy had, had control over everything. It's kind of interesting. I think the vice president lives in the Naval Observatory. He does. Uh, he does indeed. Yeah. And that's so, I mean, you can see this. Too, yeah. yeah, you can, you can see this, this connection. Okay. So anyway, the Navy said, ah, you got all these amateurs here. They're going to interfere with our communication. So the rule is hams can only be 200 meters and down. Everything, you know, from 200 meters on the other way belongs to the Navy, and that's our ships, and stay out of there. Because in the early days of Spark, you know, frequencies were all over the place. So the poor amateurs were stuck with it, and they figured, ah, you know, what are they going to do with that? Well, guess what? 
<laughs> the amateurs figured, yeah, amateurs said 200 meters. Okay, well, what about 80? What about 160? What about 40? What about 20? And all of a sudden, worldwide communications as a result of being forced into a little niche or corner saying you can only operate here. And, and I think that's kind of amazing. And that's the point to people who are just starting home brewing is this is an opportunity to experiment. So don't necessarily be turned off by someone says, oh, well, they can have 200 meters and down. You know, what are you going to do with that? Well, guess what? They did a lot with it. And, and the whole basis of this is a result of someone making a regulation. And that gets to the point of uh, <clears throat> some of the, the new technology that's out on the, on the marketplace today, and specifically the SI5351, which is in, in single watts, this, this IC is $1.35. I just bought a batch, okay? If you get one already fitted to the board with a power supply and all the things you need, you can buy them for 8 bucks. So, I mean, quite a marvelous device for $8.00. And uh, it does all kinds of things. But what's happening is people who have laboratories are evaluating this $8 board like you would evaluate a piece of uh, laboratory instrumentation, saying, well, you know, it doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. Well, and somebody new to homebrewing will read that and say, I'm not going to deal with it, you know, because it doesn't do this and doesn't do that, instead of saying, Gee, we're stuck with 200 meters and down. <laughs> no, you what know, can I do? No, what can I do? I know exactly what you're saying. I just want to jump in with one little story that that goes along that line very much. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, of a column in in Radcom, the, the UK magazine called Technical Topics, it was put together by Pat Hawker, G3VA, oh, yeah. wrote it for many many years, and it's a great column. It really is a major contribution contribution to ham radio literature. But it's interesting when you read. Pat's columns from the 1960s, even into the early 70s, when they were talking about a transition from tubes to transistors, he was very skeptical. And he was skeptical and, and, and consistently over a long period of time saying that, you know, it wouldn't really be practical or possible for hams to do building with transistors because you would need so much sophisticated test gear to make sure that they were running properly. You couldn't do this because everybody's going to need a spectrum analyzer because you can't work on transistors unless you have a spectrum analyzer. And spectrum analyzers are big bucks, and so therefore, maybe it's not going to be practical for hams to use transistors. And, you know, I, everybody gets it wrong every once in a while, and I think Pat was obviously wrong on that one. But, yeah. it, but it is, you, you do see some of the same kind of naysaying or kind of uh, we, that'll be impossible in, in people talking about your 5351 and other other innovations like that. Yeah, yeah. well, this, this is the... Uh, I'm only trying to suggest that people new to homebrewing, you know, it's not a big investment, and you might find it for... Is it good enough? Yes. Is it good enough for a laboratory precision device? Probably not. Yeah. But is it good enough to build a homebrew receiver? Good enough. Well, yeah, sure. And that's you, you see that time and again. For example, yeah. the IRF 510, that, yeah. that, that MOSFET that we're using as RF amplifiers in so many rigs. i got two of them sitting right in front of me. That was not designed as an RF amplifier. It was designed as a switching device for use in power supplies. But we figured, somebody along the line figured, hey, wait a second. We could probably get this thing to work as an RF amplifier. And that's what we're all using. 
the yeah. three point five seven nine megahertz crystals, they were yeah. they were supposed to go in TV sets. Nobody yeah. thought they were going to be yeah. eighty meter CW transmitters, but here we are. Yeah, that's the fun part. Yeah, and, and you know some of this is uh, is fly specs in the pepper, and a good example where people are saying, look at the phase noise. Okay, they the phase noise, and he says, well, it's eight dB worse. So. Uh, Okay, yeah, gee, that could be bad, but it's all relative. Uh, the better devices that are minus 113, and or I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry the better devices minus 111, and these are at minus 103. <laughs> so it's all relative. <laughs> it's it's all relative. You know, it's like someone says, hey, you know, this car, this car gets eight miles per gallon less than this one. What would you buy? Well. This one here gets 150, and this one here gets 142. It's pretty relative. Is is 142 miles per gallon pretty good? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it good enough? Yeah. So uh, you know, it all depends on your application. So uh, I, I think I think there's a lot of very exciting work being done. Just think about it. For this eight buck board, you can generate a BFO and have a variable frequency oscillator all on one eight buck board. You can drive it with a two dollar and fifty three cents Pro Mini. So oh, for it's ten, bucks, ten bucks, ten yeah, bucks. It's <laughs> fantastic, you, you know. And it's but it, but, it, but like you said, it's very much in keeping with the amateur use of components. Yeah. That might not be this. The, our use of it is no, almost never going to be the intended use. Look at the NE six hundred two chip. That yeah. that thing came out for use in the early cell phones, and it was that that's what it was intended for. And then somebody came along, and I know one of the guys who really was a major proponent of this was Joe Carr, who, who lived right here in Falls Church, Virginia, by the way. Uh, Joe Carr saw it and wrote a lot of articles about how we could use this chip, even though its characteristics are far from ideal. Everybody knows that, that the, the, that the intercept isn't the best, that it's not the best mixer, it's not the quietest mixer, but... But if you want to build a simple little device and get it to work and have a receiver that that works, it's great. Yeah. And so we're still using yeah. them. Yeah. So I think everything has to be in perspective. And you know, if you're if you're a person at one end that are that is building laboratory precision equipment, and that's where I have a little bit of heartburn with uh, things that appear on the EM RFD reflector, for instance. I've, there's a possibility that the let's build something final receiver may have an S, SI5351 in it. And that's That may be an option. And the editor sent me an email. He said, did you see the EMRFD reflector? It says the phase noise and this thing is not any good. I said, get a grip. <laughs> I've got one working. <laughs> there, It's working here on the bench. And so... From what I see, is it good enough? Yes. Is it a laboratory-grade equipment? No. So, uh, you know, just having fun and doing some hobering, and you learn some things. For instance, uh, what's on the bench right now, and, and there's a video on YouTube on this, and uh, I sent you a link to that, is I figured out how to put a keypad on this thing. I saw so That I was can, so cool. You know, so but, what but do but I scary, know about programming? Scary, yeah, what do I know? scary for me, Peter. I felt like, you know, now, <laughs> What now. do I know about programming? <laughs> But I took this thing and I said, okay, here's a keypad. How can I stuff frequencies in there? And uh, as a matter of fact, the guy that wrote the library for for this keypad, I've contacted him because there's a couple things I want to do that I mentioned there is a repeat key. I also asked him, is there a way that you can do keypad entry? He says, a little more complex, but it's possible. 
So there may be a way with that keypad, instead of just pushing one, you get 80 meters, and two, you get 40 meters. You say, I want to go to this frequency. And with a code in there, it'll recognize the code. The Arduino is capable of doing that. So you can enter a frequency. I mean, you're gonna, how cool you're, is that? You're gonna, how cool is that? You keep going this way, you're going to have Siri in there. You're going to have Siri. Siri, take me to 80 meters. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not? Voice recognition. Why not? I mean, the Arduino is such an amazing device for very little money. And there, there's more and more applications appearing. And, and it's just to your own self. Like, I am not a digital guy. I'm a guy that's fooling me. Most of us, you got me fooled. <laughs> no, wait a minute. There are just some things I got lucky with, and and Ben is more of a digital guy than I am, and and so he knows this stuff and he sees all these things. And there's a lot of people out there that are that are they're on the forefront of this, but it just shows you the power. Now, who would have thought that you could have taken this ten dollars worth of hardware, a Pro Mini and a, and a SI fifty three fifty one, add a keypad to it? And suddenly now you say, okay, I want to go to 80 meters. Just, and I'm thinking of building a transceiver with buttons on the front, you know, and just say, <laughs> okay, there's 20, there's 40. Why not? Yeah. It's there. The technology's there. So, you know, if I read and and just took the information that these, quote, experts, oh, the phase noise is bad. Well, I say, I'm not going to deal with that. Well, look at look what I'm learning. I mean, eventually there may be a, a variant of the 5351. It has better phase noise, so then yeah. I'm going to get no, involved. You're, you're absolutely right because if, if you know, I just go recap it. I mean, we would not have used the NE602. We would not have used the IRF510. Right. You know, ah. we, we would. You know, there's all kinds of devices that we wouldn't. You know, we we wouldn't. We're going back to Pat Hawker. We might we might not be using transistors. Yeah. Um, a lot. Of, also, a lot of the tubes that we use were for different purposes. I mean, Ham's built. Trans- transmitters or transceivers with the 69 compactron. Yeah. You know, built for TV, yeah. TV 69. Service. I got one. Uh, I got one. Hey, you know, but, but you know, when, when you talked about the, the person who expressed concern about the let's build something having, a, you know, a 5351 in there, you know, one of the things I really liked about Farhan's approach to the BIDX, if you read his original article in the BIDX, it's great because at, at key junctions, when he, at key junctures where he's describing you know, how to build it. When he gets to the VFO, he says, look, here's the VFO circuit that we used. It works great for us, but you can put any VFO circuit that you might like in there. And he's right, because all you really need is if you, whatever, whatever signal source you have in there, if it's producing the desired frequency at about one volt peak to peak to drive the diode ring mixer, you're good. It's got to be clean. It's got to, you know, you don't want it to be, you want, you want it to be stable. But he did leave it to the builder. I mean, he didn't say to anybody that you have to build it this way. So, I mean, that's the great thing about homebrew. Have it your way. Yeah, as a matter of fact, when I built the BIDX, and this was a a couple of of months after, and that's been 10 years ago. With the anniversary? Yeah, when Farhan first came out with that, I built one. And I looked at that, and I said, I'm not putting 10 megahertz crystals in there. I'm going to put nine. Yeah. And I'm going to have a 5 megahertz VFO. And I had been involved with using a, a, a development from EI9GQ, Ed, Ed Skelton. And this is a uh, huff and puff VFO stabilizer. Mm-hmm. So I ended up with a digital display <laughs> on, on, on my BIDX. And the frequency never moved because I locked it on. And, and that was really amazing because I said, I'm going to have a VFO drifted. I don't want to screw with that. I'll just build a 5 megahertz VFO. 
So, I mean, that was technology back then. People said, hey, you know, you can't put an analog VFO on that. That's going to wander all over the place. Well, I, I did something so that it didn't wander all over the place. And and I think that's just, that's the beauty, beauty part of it is that there's always the challenge on there. Yeah, you can have 200 meters and down, okay? <laughs> so look so what look what people do. That's you know, right. They find a better way. Okay. So I, I guess I'm a little, uh, I, I just would caution people new to home brewing when you when you see some of this stuff ask yourself is it good enough and and it's not a major investment i mean you're not going out and spending five hundred dollars to buy this device and say boy this thing doesn't work with phase noise eight bucks guys eight bucks right and you can just try it i mean that's the beauty of yeah. having your own your own workshop yeah. and doing it in the shack and not doing it at work where you have to justify everything but this is just fooling around and see sometimes you know you just fool around and you discover something and you know you make you could make a little discovery that nobody else has, and you could add something to the to the radio R. And I think that's what you guys are doing. But you've had some trouble with varying different different versions of Arduino, Pete. Oh man, yeah, yeah. This okay. Is, you go ahead. This is where <laughs> this is where all Arduinos are not created equal, and uh, you need to be very very careful and do a little re- do a little noodling first before you buy something. Yeah. Uh, for instance. Um, uh, some of the Arduino circuits require that you have a real Arduino, uh, the Uno R3, uh, and and others uh, will not work in there. As an example, uh, the Leonardo, uh, which has got a really good price on it, and, and again, you can buy an Arduino real Leonardo. It doesn't have all the functionality, so sometimes you just plug it in there and you say, okay, I'm going to put this pin on that pin and that pin, and you fire it up and it doesn't work. And then there was the counterfeit chips on the nanos. That was amazing. So that when, so when you try to when you try to start the thing up, you you can't start it up, and there's a way around that. And then the Pro Mini uh, requires that you have a, a special interface cable with the uh, the USB to serial converter in that, so that you can load the code. So I mean, you you see this Arduino for two dollars and fifty three cents. You may need something else to get it to work. And then it's really arcane how you load the code on there. You ha- have to hold the reset button until you see something on the screen. You release the reset button and it loads the code. Now, how would you know that? Oh, you I know. know. I mean, how would you know those yeah, things? This is part of the thing that that drives me nuts and why I get so frustrated and why I find myself, you know, even though I recognize that this is the f- wave of the future and there's so many beautiful things you could do with it. Every time I approach the bench and there's one of these little chips staring at me, I think, oh, man, I want to, you know, where, where are the 2N2222s? Please, let yeah. me go back to the 2N3904s. I want to wind some coils. There you go. <laughs> I well, want an LC Phil, oscillator. Phil, I sent you something this morning that uh, shows you how you can use an Arduino to shift frequencies on the VXO. So it's the best of all it, worlds. It just doesn't seem right to me. Pete. There's just something immoral about that. There's something, you know, it's, it, you know, the, the Dominicans would say it's like arroz con mango. It's just, you know, oil and water. I don't know. I'll give it a try, of course, because you're recommending it. Hey, this is, this is an appropriate moment for us to pause for what you're supposed to remind me about. SCD. The Shameless Commerce Division. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Holiday season is approaching, guys. So that means that we have to collaborate in an effort to squeeze some money out of Amazon and have them send it to me. Because yeah. <laughs> I got to buy, it's to buy an Arduino. I got to buy Arduinos. <laughs> I got to put two kids through college. Every little bit helps, you know. Yeah, there you go. So the, and the the beauty of this thing is that 
We're getting money, not from you, not from anybody else. We're getting money from Jeff Bezos, that guy, that yeah. zillionaire, right? You know, yeah. he can give in us some Seattle, money. In Seattle, in Seattle. Send it to me. Come on. <laughs> All you have to do is remember, when you think Amazon, think solder smoke. Go to soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Up in the upper right, you'll see that little box there. You plug in whatever you're buying. Hopefully, it's really big and expensive. I think you could probably even buy a Tesla car there or something like that. That would send me a few bucks. I do notice yeah. when you guys buy something big, somebody bought some really humongous piece of test, test equipment and, you know, cha-ching. I, yeah. It showed up in my mailbox there. So it, it, it has the desired effect. So uh, as the holiday season approaches and you think about what you're going to buy, Remember, when you think Amazon, think solder smoke. That's like our, our, our theme here, uh, Pete. It's like Brill Cream, you know. Yeah. <laughs> a little a dab will do you. Yeah. Hey. Or Burma Shade. <laughs> the other thing is, um, you know, the books. Uh, if you're looking for, uh, for Christmas gifts or stocking stuffers, the Solder Smoke book, Solder Smoke Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, it's available in print form or e-form. It's available for the iBook. From Apple, it's available from Amazon in print or Kindle, all different kinds of forms, and it's also on Lulu.com. So you, there's a link to that on the Blogspot page, also. And here's an idea: you know, um, the, the 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 travelogue stories, the stories about the family. I know that some folks often tell, often talk about the, the crazy things that we're talking about here uh, with with family members. Well, here's the story of of our family living overseas. It's called Us and Them. An American family spends 10 years with foreigners. Yeah. Many of them Italians. Oh. <laughs> you know what that could be like? <laughs> oh, yeah. Mamma mia. Anyway, uh, yeah. we, we, I wrote up a book about uh, the, the experience. We of, don't get mad. We just get even. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the story of uh, our family over during 10 years in, uh, in Europe and uh, kind of what it was like to, to do that. And I think that you might be interested, or your, you know, your your spouses might be interested in it, or somebody. But it, available all those same places: Amazon, iBooks, uh, Noodle, Kindle, Noodle, not Noodle, Nook, not Noodle. Noodle would be Nook. different. Nook, yeah, Kindle, and all that. Anyway, it also links on the on the blog page. Uh, check it out. And uh, and uh, I hope uh, well. That concludes this week's episode of the Shameless Commerce Division. Thank you for reminding right. me, Pete. Yeah, I want to I want to tag on to that. I have a little shameless commerce here, although I'm getting nothing out of it. Um, I did, we have the videos up on on YouTube for the Let's Build Something, and and the intent of those videos is to actually accompany the article, which has been submitted for publication in QRP Quarterly. And if you join QRPRC, you get the magazine four times a year. So um, I got to tell you, once it goes into print. Um, I, I have promised the magazine I won't send out any information that is in the printed form, what you see with the videos. So if you want to get the printed article, especially it's coming out for publication, you got to join QRPRC. And it's well worth it. Uh, lots of good information. And, and this is just the first of the series. So the article will have more of the detail about how to put the stuff together, but the videos that are on YouTube accompany that article. So uh, if you join right now, you can get, the first edition of 2015 so uh, just go to the website and it tells you how to join if you're not already a member and if you are a member continue your subscription so uh, there's my little plug. No that's great the QRP Amateur Radio Club International QRP ARCI definitely a worthwhile organization to join and uh, you'll get you know, Pete's article and then you'll be you'll be in good shape 
All right, shameless commerce. Excellent, excellent. Hey, a few, before we wrap up, let's see. We are at wow, we're at one hour and eleven minutes, but we still have some things yeah. to talk about. So what yeah, the heck? Yeah, we can go on yeah. as long as we want. Sure, within limits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I, I, there's a couple of things. You know, I think many of us, and I know you are too. You worked at you worked in the uh, in a related field for many years, but uh, the space program. There's a lot of overlap, a lot of common interest between. Uh, the space program and uh, and ham radio, and I know many guys are as interested in this stuff as we are. And I was really happy to see that Orion rocket go off this week. I don't know if you have you seen the video. No, I haven't. Oh but, man, uh, you were telling me about that. Yeah, it it hit the mark. It hit the hit the hit the spot in the ocean, right? It it, it also hit the spot. I think uh, kind of emotionally with uh, many people of our generation who can remember Saturn V's and Apollo Eleven. Yeah, I was 10 years old when they landed on the moon, and uh, I, I was so into it. Man, I, I, was, I was the maximum uh, space program fanatical kid. And uh, when I, uh, you know, you look at the Orion, it's a, you know, it's a big rocket. It's a rocket that could, could take us to the moon. It's designed to take us to Mars. Uh, but I have to say, it just, it doesn't look anywhere near as good as a Saturn V. There's something about the Saturn V, maybe because it was the you know the the Apollo rocket that we all have such emotional connection to that program. But man, that Saturn V, when that thing when they lit that candle, that was something. And this thing, it looks good. It's big, but it's not quite the same. Now, the one thing that I found that was really the same, and this kind of actually sent a kind of a chill down my spine when I was sitting there looking in the, at the newspaper report on this and they have this kind of exploded uh, diagram of the rocket showing all the different stages and components the capsule that they're using for Orion looks to me almost identical to the Apollo command module and it looks like the same thing it's the same form and uh, man I saw that and I got all kinds of I remembered gluing together the little plastic model you know, with the, oh, yeah. the toxic uh, plastic glue from Tesco and um, and the, all that stuff, and uh, and watching those things, and you know, then 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 Apollo thirteen and all that. So, three cheers for NASA and congratulations on the Orion launch. It was it was pretty cool watching that thing go up. You know what the first astronaut said before they took off? What was that? They they said, "Just think, we're sitting on top of the low bid." <laughs> <laughs> I remember the, the story. I think it was I think it was Alan Shepard was sitting up there. He was getting impatient on the first uh, first American suborbital flight, and Alan was kind of a gruff character. And finally, you hear his voice break over the communication link, and he says, "Let's light this candle." Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's good stuff. Go. The right stuff. Yeah, the, a good book by 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 Tom Wolfe. Yeah, excellent. Good stuff. Um, let's see. Oh, sort of related to this. Oh, and I, I put up, I, actually, if you're interested in seeing the, uh, uh, the launch, I put, a, I put a video link up on the blog this morning. So you just click on that and you could see oh, okay. the Orion go up. And in a similar vein, I'll put something up like this also. I think we have it up on the, uh, the Soda Smoke Facebook page. Somebody put together a, a short movie called The Wanderers. It's just four minutes. But what they did is they kind of, with animation, they kind of explored what it would be like to, explore uh, places in our solar system, Titan, Europa, Jupiter, Saturn, Mars, of course. But they did something different, that all of the scenes on these various heavenly bodies 
are based on real imagery. So they're oh. so it's a it's a digital kind of creation, but the database that they use for the scenes is all based on real, real imagery, stuff. and yeah. so it's uh, it's it's quite remarkable. I thought that was was pretty good. Um, just going through my list here, repeat. Uh, you got anything else you want to throw in here at the end? Uh, no, I don't think so. Other than uh, this will probably be uh, since you're going to the DR. Um, uh, just wish you a Merry Christmas, uh, uh, Happy New Year, All right. and I guess we'll catch you when you uh, when you get back. Have fun. You taking the rig with you? I am. We're going to the beach. We're heading to cool. the Dominican Republic next month. So it'll be well this month. We'll be away for a while, but I'm taking with me the uh, the 20 meter double sideband uh, ceramic oscillator rig that uh, that I that I was struggling with that I, I that I ripped out. Without justification, I ripped out the J-Bot amplifier. And I was sitting here this morning working on the antenna. And I'm not quite sure. I mean, there's going to be palm trees and white sand and, uh, and good, good saltwater ground plane. But uh, I'm not quite sure what the antenna situation is. So I just, you know what I did is I cut four quarter wave elements for 20 meters. And I'm going to take four pieces of wire each a quarter wave. So if I want to do a dipole, I could do a dipole. If I want to do a ground plane, I could do a ground plane. There you plane. go. Even if I want to do a one-wave loop, I put four of them together. I'm going to put clip leads on the end, and we'll be sitting there at the at, at the water's edge. Oh, <laughs> warm weather. Hey, Merry Christmas to you, Pete. You bet. And I want to say one thing. We got you know we we're, we don't we're not doing mailback because we have we we just ramble on here so long we don't want time to have it. But one of the guys, the the first guy who got a. Um, uh, a mighty might going sent us something in the mail that really cracked me up. We've been talking about Viva el Cla, the, the Colorburst Liberation Army, and he sent us one and he said, El Cla Unido Hamas Vencido, which means <laughs> the Colorburst Liberation Army united will never be defeated. It's a real common kind of Latin American <laughs> wow. protest chant. So uh, yeah, there, there you go. I put up the symbol. You know, you see the symbol. I put it yeah. on the plug. Man, yeah, I, Homeland Security is going to be <laughs> visiting you. I, I, I think I hear him at the door right now. I better get out there. <laughs> 7-3 from Northern Virginia. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year. We'll yeah. see you. We'll see you in 2015. Correct. Uh, happy Happy New Year. Merry Christmas from the left coast here. 7 3s, Bill. Thanks, Pete. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. 
If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi! Thank you.